Well, good morning, church family, and uh, welcome. If this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, we're just delighted to, to get the opportunity to worship together with you. And uh, my name is Randy, and I'm the uh, senior minister here at the church. And I hope you've had a meaningful week uh, here this Christmas week, and as New Year's comes on us. And I was just thinking about that last song that we sang. You know, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. We are children of God. And one of the features of children uh, is that wherever they are, if they're like playing in the playground or if they're playing in sports or whatever they're doing or if they're at a, or, you know, if they're like at a school program, the kids, what do they do? What do they do? They look out. They're looking for their parents, aren't they? They're looking for mom. They're looking for dad. They're waving. They're hi and how are you, you know? You know what? That's what God wants of us here. We are his children and he wants us to look to him and to seek him. And we, uh, uh, we, we want God, we want to be noticed by God. I want you to know God is paying attention to us. Our great God who sustains the entire universe is paying attention. He's here in this room right now. And listen to me. He knows your story. He knows you deeply, and he loves you intimately. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture today that just echoes the vast greatness of God. It's also a scripture that talks about who we are, and then it's a scripture that talks about how to live in light of that. What, what is wise living in light of that? So that's kind of where we're going this morning. Uh, but first, this question for the church family. Does anybody know Kirk Cousins? Ha, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes, <laughs> Leroy. <laughs> He's the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. Ah, uh, yeah, now some of you know. Ooh, we got you awake now, huh? All right, yeah, he is the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, and they're going to play the Bears today, and depending on how well they do, they're going to play the Bears again next week. We'll see, won't we? But that's not why his picture is there. This is why his picture is there. This is a piece of sculpture that is outside the front door of the home of Kirk Cousins, and this jar of stones is meant to remind him that his days are numbered. Uh, intending to live to 90 years of age, Kirk Cousins uh, has a jar of 720 stones. He says there's 720 stones in that jar, one for each month he intends to live, it's right outside his front door. And so each month, he takes one of those stones, so it's a stone per month. He takes one of those stones out of the jar, and he takes it with him, and this is what he says. Every month I take out a stone, I put it in my pocket, and I think once this month is over, it's gone. Can't get it back. It's gone for good. Okay. Cousins has a rationale behind that, and it's a passage of Scripture. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days 
that we may get a heart of wisdom. Cousins says that that verse is about leaving a mark. And it's about making a, a legacy and making deposits in people's lives. And so he says, in other words, when you have an understanding that life is coming to an end someday and that we have only so many days, we know there's wisdom in that. Kirk Cousins, this sculpture, this jar of stones, it's a, it's a visual reality check on the stewardship of time. And I, I thought it was a very interesting article. Uh, um, the interviewer said, point blank, that's morbid. That's just morbid. And I read that and I thought, well, now wait a minute. Really? Is it? I mean, what if that tower represented not his life, but his career in the NFL? Let's just take it for that length of time. Would that be morbid? No. No, it would be wise. And here's why. Did you know that the average NFL player lasts about 3.3 years? That's it. Uh, and if that NFL player happens to suit up on the first game of the season, that statistic goes to about six years. So let's just take six years. Six-year career. Six years is a limited amount of time to earn what will really kind of be, to this preacher, a substantial salary. Okay? <laughs> All right? Um, and so what are you going to do with that opportunity? Because when it's gone, it's gone. Now, is that morbid? No. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. And so all Kirk Cousins has done is simply expanded that scenario beyond his professional football career to life. And it's the same question. What am I going to do with the limited amount of time and opportunity that God has given me? What am I going to do with that limited amount of time? It's limited. What am I going to do with it? Because time is running out. Now, you know, I don't have a jar of stones outside my front door, all right? Uh, but I did find this very interesting website that you might be interested in. Things get a little slow in the next few minutes. It's a web, it's, <laughs> you know? <laughs> How's that for confidence? <laughs> no, you'll like this. It's a website called deathclock.com. Yeah, write it down. Deathclock.com. So what you do is you put in your height, you put in your weight, you put in your you know, body mass index, your date of birth, whether or not you use tobacco, and, and, um, and generally what kind of a mood you're in. Okay? Seriously. Deathclock.com. And then you punch the button, and then you have this expected day of death. And here's mine. Oh, no, it's okay. It's all right. Oh, there's a groan. Maybe. I don't know. September 22nd, 2046. Some of you are saying, I brought a visitor. <laughs> I know. I know. Just stay. Don't leave. Okay? It gets better. The way it works here at church is we have to go through Good Friday first. Right? We have to go to the cross first, but we always end 
with an empty tomb. So just, just stay put. Okay, all right? So, here, so here, here's, here's what my chart says. Uh, my, my personal day of death is September 22nd, 2046. There it is. And I'm hoping I can get to the 25th. That's my birthday. Write that down too. September 25th, okay? So that means as of like last Thursday, I had a 875 like million seconds left to live. And the clock is ticking, that's, that's 28 years. That's 28 years from now. I don't have, that's not very long. See? You know, um, our culture is probably one of the most time-conscious cultures. We're always asking, what time is it? What time is it? We have, we have watches, we have cell phones, we've got clocks on, uh, you know, our computers and in our cars. And I'm looking at three clocks right now, you know. And, and you know, we, we start, we want to start on time, we want to end on time. At my body pump class, my exercise class at the Y, it starts promptly. And by that I mean your weights need to be out, your bench needs to be out, you need to be ready to go promptly there's no greeting and shaking hands time at you know 535 none of that you do that beforehand but at 535 that's when we get started you got to be ready to go because you have to end on time right right what time is it what time is it at some point in time that question changes from what time is it to a deeper question a more probing question, a personal question. And the question is, what am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my time? It just seems fitting here on this last Sunday of the year that we, we talk about this. We really talk about this, this, this stewardship of time. Because your time is your life. So it's really about a stewardship of your life. And to do that, I'd like to ask you to turn to Psalm, Psalm chapter 90, this very insightful passage of Scripture. Uh, a psalm that discusses this question, what am I doing with my time? You'll find that on page 496 of your church Bibles. And what I want to do is, um, I want to read this psalm. This psalm is about who God is, and then who we are, and then how to live in light of that reality. Okay? Who God is, who we are, how we are to live in light of that reality. So I'm going to, I'm going to read the psalm, and then I'll talk a little bit about the context of the psalm. You'll notice that phrase, a prayer of Moses. We'll talk about that. And then we'll look at the text itself and just walk through these verses. And then we'll get to the big idea of the text, or the lesson of the text. So context, text, lesson of the text. That's where we're going. Follow along with me as I read Psalm 90. Psalm 90. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. 
for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. Now, church family, you understand, when we read Scripture, we need to get it that these verses were first written by someone to someones. So when you're hearing words like, for all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh, well, I suppose you could say, well, why is the psalmist being so negative? Well, that, that is a good question. That's a question about context. What would lead the psalmist to say something like that? See, what's going on? These verses, we're overhearing these verses. These verses were first written to a community of people in a particular context and so let's think about the context first. And um, before we even get to the formal verses, we see the context here in verse 1. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. So this psalm comes to us by way of Moses. We've been learning all about Moses and Israel through the book of Exodus here for several months now. And this psalm... Uh, it's been attributed to Moses, and as such, as such, this, would, this is definitely the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms. So Moses was not only a leader and a shepherd and a, a, a one who gave God's law to Israel. He was a poet. He was a lyricist. And he gives us this prayer, this amazing prayer, a prayer that was thought to have been written while Israel was in the wilderness. So Moses' life 
you can divide it up into three chunks of 40 years. The first 40 years, he was the prince of Egypt, reared in the royal court of Pharaoh, but then he became a fugitive, fleeing Egypt for the Midian desert, where he was a shepherd for another 40 years. And he didn't need a clock then. At sunrise, he was with sheep, and at sunset, he went to bed. And that was his life for four decades. And he just figured that would be his life. He was going to die. At 80, though, God calls Moses to lead Israel from Egyptian slavery. And you know the story of the ten plagues. and You know the story of the miracle at the Red Sea and the exodus of God's people and then they met in, at Sinai and received the law. Israel was then about ready to enter the land of promise when they failed to trust God. And for the next 40 years, they became wanderers in the wilderness and only the children under the age of 20 entered the land of promise. So an entire generation died in the wilderness before Israel entered the land. On top of this, you need to know that there was an incident in Moses' life which disqualified him from entering the land of promise. So even Moses was excluded due to a leadership failure on his part. So that gives us some context here. Moses, a prayer of Moses, and then it says, the man of God. Oh, that's such a rich phrase. It means that Moses knew God. Moses knew God. He, he had a very close, uh, intimate relationship with his creator. And so only a man of God can write a prayer like this. Moses loved God. And Moses made peace with the fact, hear me, that he would die with unfulfilled dreams in this life. See, let that sink in for a minute. Because there comes a point in life when you realize you're not going to be able to finish all your dreams. Now, how are you going to do it? How are you going to make peace with that? Well, Moses does. He does and th and through giving us the gift of this prayer. Now, Psalm 90 is U-shaped. So it begins high, soars high, and then it descends deep, and then it, and it, it ends high. Goes high, low, high. It's a little bit like uh, the Easter event. You've got you've got Palm Sunday, you've got Good Friday, you've got Resurrection Sunday. That's really the trajectory here. It begins with a soaring declaration of who God is and what He's like, and then it takes a dip, a huge dip, in explaining who we are along with our limitations and regrets, and that it closes uh, in prayer. So, soars high, descends deep, and then looks to God. Praise, lament, plea. That's 
the trajectory of these verses. So with that in mind, let's just dive right into the text. Look at verse one. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now, why did he say that? Well, as I said, Israel is no longer in Egypt, and yet they're not in the land of promise. They're in the wilderness. So, in effect, Israel is homeless. As a nation, they're homeless. They have the tabernacle, this portable sanctuary, which reminds God's people that God himself is their dwelling place. Moses says, Lord, you are our residence. You are our shelter. You protect us. We we have no cities, no borders, no capital, no national boundaries, yet we're protected, God, because you are our home. You are our refuge. You are our roof. You are our protection. Now, it's one thing to say that and still have a house to go to after church. But when you're homeless and you don't have a fixed address or a mailbox or a house key, when you don't get a mortgage or a power bill, to say that the Lord is my dwelling place. That's just a whole nother reality. Yet that's where Israel is. And frankly, from God's perspective, that's really where we are. It really is. Psalm 90 politely informs us that we're in fact there too. You see, not one of us are gonna be living in our houses 100 years from now. Will we? Someone else will, or it won't be there. They'll tear it down. Something's going to happen. That's not morbid. That's life. That's life. You know, we've talked about this. Wherever you're from, that's your Egypt. And that there's a better place. That's the promised land. And the way there is the wilderness. That's really where we are. When you're in the wilderness... God better be your refuge, or you're in trouble. Why? Because you're in the wilderness. Now, can we let verse 1 be good news for us? That, That no matter where we are, God is our refuge. We can trust him. So don't let what's going on in Springfield or Washington or Wall Street, don't let our nation's GDP or military might keep you from, from seeking refuge in God. He's he's the only one we can truly depend upon. And why? That takes us into verse 2. He's the everlasting creator. Before the mountains were brought forth or, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And this is where we come, this is where we soar and then we dip. Because in verses 3 through 11, there's this stark, contrast between who God is and who we are. God's eternal. We're not. God is sovereign. We're not. God is all-powerful. We're not. God made everything. We did not. We're transient. We're vulnerable. We're weak. That's not morbid. That's Life, that's truth. If you let that truth sink into your soul, Jesus said, I, you know, I come to give you truth and the truth will set you free. Let the truth set you free. And the truth is, 
we humans are frail. I'm really not sure how well that registered in the 20-something version of Randall Boltinghouse. 35 years ago, 35 years ago, I'm thinking, you know, I'm in ministry, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do God's work, I'm going to build an empire, and, and, and you know, I, I'm invincible, the sky's the limit, I'm the point, I'm the point, in a, in a godly sort of way, I'm the point, you know? And about two train wrecks later, I'm the point became, what's the point? Has that happened to anybody in here? Yeah. yeah. I mean, these verses force us to face life as it really is. And Moses gives some sobering imagery here. We really are homeless here in this earthly life. Nothing this side of heaven is secure against time. And, and so in verses 1 and 2, God's eternal creative power just overwhelms human mortality in verses 3 through 11. It, it, like in verse 3, it says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. That's it. That's all he has to say. He has to say, return to dust. <laughs> in other words, Moses is saying how effortless uh, it is for God to terminate human life. And the point isn't that he's indiscriminate about it. The point is, he's God. He's the author of life. He has rights over my life. And look in verse 4. Just as children have a different take on time as adults, so it is with God. You know, a six-year-old thinks, oh, I cannot wait for Christmas. A 60-year-old thinks, I, wasn't it just Labor Day? Right? I mean, time has a way. Age has a way of affecting how we view time. And it's true. So uh, in verse 4, that phrase, watch in the night. You see that? Watch in the night. Well, that's about four hours. So that's the smallest unit of time in Moses' day. But to God, what's the smallest unit of hours? A thousand years. So on my watch, I have a second hand, right? Tick, 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 tick. On God's watch, it's called the millennial hand. See? Wow. 5,000 years just passed on God's watch. Let that sink in. See, to God, a 1,000 years is like a second on my watch. And by the way, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, when it says that to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, 2 Peter 3, 8, Peter's quoting from Psalm 90 here. That's the reference point. So. Oh, it gets more sobering. Verses 5 and 6. Every tsunami, every hurricane, every flash flood all reveal human powerlessness. The destructive forces of nature neutralize any notion of, of human strength. Furthermore, keep reading, our lives are as fleeting as the grasses of the Middle Eastern fields. And those grasses were such that in the morning dew, they had this appearance of, of just beauty and lushness, but then by afternoon, because of the arid desert environment, they were parched and they withered. 
That's us. So says Moses. And then in verses 7 through 11, Moses reminds Israel that in addition to their physical vulnerability, they are reaping the consequences of spiritual rebellion their grumbling and complaining and their worship of the golden calf and their lack of faith in God, which all led to this 40 years of wilderness wandering. So, so that's this context here. That's why these verses speak of verse 9. All our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Moses is not morbid. He's trying to shake us out of denial. He's trying to wake us of our spiritual coma. He's telling us how foolish and dangerous it is to live unaware of our standing before a whole and all-powerful God. He says, look, it's foolish for you to think that you can create something by your own effort because you don't have enough time to be that significant all by yourself. In the New Testament, James chapter 4, verse 14, it says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Poof, that's it. Wow. I mean, think about it. If one second on God's watch is a thousand years and we live 70 or 80, wow. How can we possibly make life about us in view of that? Now, let's think of it this way. Have you ever spent time with someone who never got over being 16? Really, someone who's at 46 or 56 or 66, they still try to make it about them. They still, they're still trying to, to be significant in and of themselves. They, they curve inwardly. They're self-absorbed, self-involved, narcissistic tendencies. They're, they're, blind to the very, they're blind to the very character flaws they try to point out in other people. Here, you, here's what we know about them, us, me. They're always running out of time, and history does not speak well of them. God's, God's wired us. He's wired you with an intuition that sets off an alarm when you come across someone who's all about them. And something inside your heart says, that's not right. That, that's not someone I want to emulate. I don't want to marry that person, work for that person, or be with that person. And it's almost impossible to love someone who makes it all about themselves. Our only hope in view of this is to unite with someone else's grand story. That's our only hope. Moses teaches us that the silliest thing we can do is to invite God into the story of our lives because our lives don't last that long. Rather, Moses urges us to accept God's invitation into his story. You see? 
Uh, So our best play with the finite number of years God gives us is not to make it about us, but to passionately and purposefully seek God for help and wisdom and direction. And this is where, this is where the trajectory of the psalm goes back up, you see. Starts high, gets kind of low and depressing for good reason that we might turn to God in prayer with a plea. Verse 12, oh Lord, teach us. Old friend of mine, Rocky Adams used to say, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And in verse 12, the student's ready. Oh Lord, teach us. Teach us, to, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. God, help us. Make us aware all the time of who you are and who we are. Make us aware of how fleeting this life is and how fragile we are. Here it is, the big idea. Teach us to count our days so that our days will truly count there. Teach us to count our days so that our days will truly count Teach us to truly grasp the reality of, our, of how temporary this life is on earth so that we will be a part of your eternal plan in the new heavens and the new earth. Teach us. Teach us how to work. Teach us how to rest. Teach us how to play. Teach us how to take a nap. Teach us how to have a conversation. Teach us how to listen in that conversation. Teach us how to save. Teach us how to spend. Teach us how to think. Teach us how to love. Teach us how to laugh. Teach us to weep. Teach us to lead. Teach us to follow. Oh, God, teach us. Teach us to appreciate how temporary this world is because if we do, then we'll see that even the worst of life and the worst of suffering and the worst of death and the worst of evil, even the worst won't last forever. Even the worst won't last forever. Oh, Lord, teach us with St. Paul that our troubles are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that you have promised in Christ. Oh, Lord, teach us. Verse 14, teach us to be satisfied with you in the morning. God God, help us to be satisfied with you in the morning so that we'll have all the rest of the day to appreciate you. Teach us to be satisfied with you in our younger days so that we can rejoice in you all of our days. And verse 15, though we can't turn back the clock, oh God, whatever days we have left, make us glad. Make us glad. Help me find my gladness in you. And verse 16, oh God, open my eyes so that I can see your work and your power, and not just me, for for our children. For our children. Help our children see your work and your power. Moses is this man of God. He, He knows how many rocks are in his tower. And he knows who made the rocks. Teach us to number our days. 
our days until graduation, our days until we take the exam, our days until our surgery. When you know how much time you have, you can humbly prepare. God, you may give 70 to 80 years, so teach us to steward those days so that our hearts will be wise, so that we may get a heart of wisdom. And as it turns out, that jar of stones on Kirk Cousins' front porch, not just there to remind him the number of days he has left, it's there to remind him how much he needs God's mercy and his pity. Verse 13, have pity on your servants. See, those rocks remind us to make life about other people, but who does that perfectly? Who does that perfectly? We all fall short. And so at the end of each day, that pile of stones calculates how we have failed. <laughs> and we need pity. And we need favor. Verse 17, let the favor. Uh, another translation of that word is the word beauty. Ah, God, let your beauty fall upon us. And isn't that what we've just experienced in this season of Advent? That the beauty of God put on flesh and came and walked and dwelt among us. The good news is that our God didn't wait for us to live a life well lived. He sent favor. He sent beauty. He sent his son Jesus to not only live that life, but to give that life to us. Yes, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Yet Paul says, you died and your life is now hidden in, with Christ in God. And so on account of Christ's resurrected life, you will live forever. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And those unfulfilled dreams, oh, those get reversed in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Remember Moses? That unfulfilled dream of setting foot on the promised land? Do you know that he, in fact, did set foot on the promised land? The New Testament tells us that. In Luke chapter 9, in an event called the Transfiguration, which was a preview of the resurrection, Jesus met with Elijah and Moses. Luke chapter 9, verse 30 says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure. That word departure is the word exodus. So the study that we're going through in the Old Testament of Exodus is but a shadow of the true Exodus that took place as Jesus Christ experienced the plagues of his Father upon him on the cross, killing him. But on the third day, he rose victoriously and he went through that Exodus to the land of promise the true heavens, the new heavens and the new earth. Christ has done that for us. And he has sent his Holy Spirit upon us, endowing us with otherworldly wisdom so that with Christ's mercy and with Christ's favor and with Christ's strength, we can live out those words, those words that the Apostle Paul speaks of in Ephesians 5, 
15 to 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord, Lord's will is. Oh, what a great chapter for us today. What a, what a great chapter for us to, to, to learn and to, to internalize and to pray every morning. You, you want to know what to pray in 2019? You pull out Psalm 90 and you pray that prayer. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Can we just pray that together out loud right now? One, two, three. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. One more time. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. God wants us to live our lives as if they have a point. And the point isn't us. He wants us to live our lives as if time here on this earth is limited. And he wants us to live as if we've been invited into everlasting to everlasting. What if, what if our church of a thousand could, could, having gathered here on Resurrection Sundays, could then go out into the community and live remarkable self aware lives we know we know who god is and we know who we are and we pray this prayer and then we live this prayer in gratitude and love we understand this life is not all there is there's this life and there's the life to come and i'm telling you when you live that life you live that life and love your God. Huh. Death isn't a grave. It's a doorway. Amen.